No, it's hook and loop, Frank. It's not Velcro. <laughs> you only know that because I told you that. Welcome back to the Refactored Podcast, where it's our goal to suck a little less every day. We do this some days by pissing off everybody up and down the org chart. My name is Chris Tonkinson. And I'm Frank Cole. And this is episode number 11, recorded Tuesday, February 23rd, 2021. That intro sings to the cynic in me. <laughs> it's, it's the inner cranky in both the, of us. I mean, the, yes, the, 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 inner, the inner grumpus. That uh, that <laughs> I'm constant, that I am constantly trying to uh, to contain. <laughs> so we were doing a uh, we're working on an internal project uh, at my at my office, which is fun because I normally am doing a lot of management and all the projects because we're consulting are all externally faced, and so doing the internal stuff is always fun. And uh, so I've got this. I'm working on this internal project, and it's a it's an app. It's a monolithic app. It's nothing. The details are irrelevant for what it does. It's a monolithic app, and we're standing it up inside of GCP, Google Cloud Platform. That's where we're hosting it. And uh, I am using my engineers when they have what we call R&D time. They're sitting on the bench. They're between projects. Um, and uh, getting them to – I have them setting up the the automation around it. And one of the automation steps was obviously putting together – Terraform for the application itself to build and deploy the production server that it runs on. Great, great. And I'm now qualified to criticize every decision you've made. You know, having having put Terraform into production, now I'm exactly I'm qualified exactly to be, one yeah, time. Congratulations, exactly yes. one time. Yes, yes. Yeah. In, 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 and as as I recall, is is that is that system actually live at this point? Is that a, it's not? Well, shut up, Frank. Nobody asked. Yeah, you. I, I don't. I don't actually think it's. I think it's actually up there. Anywhere. Look, Terraform wasn't the problem. It was GitLab. All right. Mm. I don't want to hear it. Mm. <laughs> sure. Anyway, excuses aside. So my <laughs> my engineers were were putting this together and um, they only have so much time in between these opportunities. And so I had them focusing on the Terraform for the production servers. And I actually explicitly said, don't write Terraform for the database because we're just going to use the GCP SQL service, which isn't even a real, quote unquote, real server. It's just you go in there, you click a few buttons and then poof, magically you have an instance running. It's not actually attached to an, a, a server that you connect to or anything. You're just using mm -hmm. the, the UI. This is really one of the, I mean, this is the, this is the quintessential cloud of, of these yeah. hosted services. Yeah. Okay. And so I said, don't worry about that because we're going to set it up one time. We're going to do backups. And there's there's really nothing to there's really nothing to do there. And and now does does Terraform for GCP does it have uh, first of all this is called what, what's it called uh, Cloud SQL? What Google is, what uh, yeah Google SQL. I, I think it's actually Google just SQL. called SQL. Okay. I think it's just called SQL. so is so is does Terraform have a Google SQL? Uh, yes. Resource. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they're so you're they're, saying you're saying we're going to use this. So don't don't create actual hosts for it. Because we're going to use their service. I'm actually well even further. So there are there are Terraformers you can use Terraform um, uh, providers. Um, that's what they're called, Chris. I, I know you're an expert and all, but just in case, I, you know, Terraform well, providers. It's, it's, it's for anybody else who may not know. Right. Right. Anyone right. else who who might be listening right, right now, <laughs> live. So <laughs> there's 
So there are providers to actually stand up the SQL in the Google SQL instances, which is the the service. So there is there are Terraform providers to stand up the the services. But again, I'm explicitly saying don't worry about that Terraform. I want you focused on the servers for production because mm-hmm. those are actual instances that require actual configuration. And I got into a discussion with um with one of my colleagues about it, um uh, saying uh, actually a couple of my colleagues about it. And, um, you know, we sort of went, we went back and forth. Um, they, they were saying, um, well, I mean, you're in there doing the Terraform. You should do this. You should do this Terraform anyway, and you should really have everything, uh, codified as infrastructure as code so that if there's ever a problem, you can, you can quickly stand it back up. And I went, okay, yes, that's a fair point. Those and in the in the ideal world bubble, that is one hundred percent what I would do. But there are real world constraints around this and any other project. And so, what I suggested and what I actually continued to um, um, push in the in the conversation was that yes, you you could do this, but realistically, what are you actually getting? Because that Terraform that you write is going to take a not insignificant amount of time, especially when you compare it to the legwork that it actually takes to stand up the Google SQL instance in the cloud service. So yes, I can write the Terraform and have it automatically deploy it, or I can actually write down four steps in a readme that say, click this, click this, click this, type this, you're done. And now. Yes, I'm going to reinforce. Yes, you should 100% have everything infrastructure as code automated. But the point I was making in this instance, and indeed, I think to any project is you you have to balance the real world constraints of uh, time and importance because you can only do uh, multitasking is a garbage term, in my opinion. You can only do one thing at a time. And there are, for projects that are going out the door, there are always lots of things on the to-do list and you have to prioritize them. And so, yes, while there is this ideal world where everything in the infrastructure is codified, you you need to pick and choose your battles. And it doesn't apply just to infrastructure. You can go in a lot of different directions with this, as you as you well know, about you know what to build and technical debt and, and, and all those kinds of things. And one of the other people in the in the argument, uh, well, not argument, in in this in this um, uh, discussion, made the point that every snowflake in an avalanche pleads not guilty. And here's the interesting thing: so he says that, and he says every snowflake in an avalanche pleads not guilty. And he meant that uh, by okay, so you didn't you didn't automate this little piece and then you don't automate this other little piece. And eventually those little snowflakes add up and they lead to an avalanche. And which is how I would naturally interpret well, here's that the thing. in context. I, you, you, I actually took it the exact opposite. I thought he was actually really? making, I thought that he was making and I took it and ran with it. I thought he was making an argument in my favor because if I have this, if I if I'm trying to get a a project, a product off the ground, I have all these different things that I have to get done. But if I get super hyper focused on the Terraform, and then I get super hyper focused on the 
production server configuration. And then I get super hyper-focused on database optimization. Eventually, you know, I'm spending all these time doing all of these other things that are not actually getting me out the door. <laughs> and so you could end up torpedoing yourself. And so I think I think it's a great argument to make. It's just a great argument to make in both directions. You have yeah. to, I mean, you have to do, you have to do your infrastructure. You have to do right by your infrastructure. You have to do right by your programming. You have to do right by your testing. But what that right is, quote unquote, is going to vary from project to project, situation to situation. That's why, you know, we we get questions a lot in in when we go in, especially with new clients. What do you think, you know, what's the ideal in this situation? And we always have to respond, there is no ideal for any situation because every situation has so many inputs and variables that you have to you have to well, they, weigh the pros clients, and cons. The clients are talking to a consulting firm. Ideally, they would not be spending money on consulting. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. I'm. I'm sidestepping the the, the obvious irony of, of like that. if you want to zoom out, let's zoom way out. <laughs> Ideally, this is all already done. So, no, I think there's 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 a good point there, and I I think I see what you're doing, but your your particular example is terrible. Just just terrible. Oh. Um, oh. Because okay. in this case, why? No, I, I think you're making you're making good points, and I don't necessarily disagree. Um, but it's about if you're, I I think I side I think I side with a guy from Colorado on this one because, <clears throat> of course, I'm making a snow. Yeah, I was going to say he's not in Colorado. I never yeah. mentioned locations. No, no, he's in Colorado now. <laughs> okay, okay, he's um, in Colorado. I don't know if you know he moved. He, he moved. moved like oh, did he? Seconds okay, ago this when I decided. Yeah. Right, this person whom yeah. you don't even know. Okay, sure. Yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll go with that. Okay. Sure. By the way. Yeah, yeah. Okay. By the way. Mm-hmm. Uh HR is being notified later today. Okay. Um No, I think uh, he because because the point I think that I think he's making a valid point and I think your point is equally valid that look, we got to focus Pareto principle, right? We got to focus on the 20% of work that's going to get us 80% of the way there. 80 20 for sure. We have a job to do one of you know uh cheap fast and right you're picking cheap and fast okay and that's that's mm. the argument that you're making you're you're citing you're saying look we don't need to do it academically correct with like a capital c correct we're going to get it done fast and we're going to get it done cheap pulling you know uh, other developers as they're not on other engagements right we're going to do the best we can with what we have in a short period of time so in my assessment would be you're picking fast and cheap here. Do you would you, would yeah, you disagree there? I would I would say I'm prioritizing them. The argument and I, I'm I'm loath to go down too far down this road. We can, but I do, before we do, I do want to point out that I'm I'm I didn't use that analogy because you know I'm saying what I am suggesting is that there is a right enough. There is a there is no, no, no there, I, there isn't I, a hard just line. because. Just because you do something fast and cheap doesn't mean it's one hundred percent wrong. Right. Fast, cheap, and right is not. It's it's the iron, you know, triangle. That, that doesn't mean that there's none of the third thing. It Correct. Means what okay. are you okay. prioritizing okay. for? All right. So yeah, we're all right. That's the, fine. I, I want to make sure and we if, have if, that and exchange. We're talking, yeah. And in and in this and in this particular case, we say right. We don't mean you're not meeting 
the functional requirements of the, right. of the activity. Correct. We don't mean you're compromising the, the veracity of the system and, and so forth. We mean, okay, in terms of process, because we're all, you know, either, either, um, currently suffering or recovering nerds and there's a right way, you know, in scare quotes, right mm-hmm. way to do things. So that's what we're sacrificing for speed and cost here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So would that be roughly fair? Yes. Yeah. Okay. The iron triangle, it's a prioritization of, of fast and cheap over right. So mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And right here means, you know, doing every layer completely and thoroughly. And 100% that, like right? to so, the, to so, the neck beard nines, you know, that, so that, I'm, that's I'm in thing. agreement with you. If you've got, if you've got, let's say, uh, you've got a firewall load balancer edge device, whatever you want to call it in front. And then you've got N number of, uh, of web servers. And then you've got M number of application servers. You've got L number of random async job queue runner servers mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then it's all backed on this google sql service i would agree with you that the priority is taking care of all of those other servers because the intricacies there you're you're saving yourself the automation there saves you disproportionate amount of work if you focus there alone now right what i think you're suffering from or just it's just you're making a good point and I'm agreeing with you, but it's just a terrible example. And I think you lose on on that because in this case, okay, it's just a couple of clicks to go and stand up the the SQL service. And and by the way, just point of clarification, GCP is the provider in Terraform lingo. The the SQL or the EC2s or the S3 buckets are resources. Mm-hmm. So so you're using the GCP provider to stand up a SQL resource is what it's right. going to be called in the Terraform. The, the yeah. SQL thing is not a provider. That's that's GCP. No, no. GCP um, is the provider. GCP, that was my yeah. point. GCP is the provider. This right. is a resource. Yes, right. you're right. Yeah. Hey, you so, learned something. So, you actually, maybe you actually know a little bit of Terraform. I don't, no, no, no. Well, like you said, I, I only you. barely, I don't even have anything in production. You. I'm, you, I'm a, you've got the, um, you've got the manual open in the background. Don't lie. I'm, I'm Googling. I'm Googling. Look, <laughs> I got a, I got a mic with a hardware mute button. You don't think that I use that to mask my typing? Um, <laughs> So in this case, yeah, setting up the the SQL service is probably a couple of clicks. It is probably equally easy to do in a res- it, it, the resource definition for that SQL service is probably equally easy. You're not actually saving a ton of time by not defining the SQL in a Terraform resource block. Mm-hmm. So the 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 narrowness of what you're talking about, whether it's manual or automated, I think is a wash, and I think because because it's such low effort to do either way i think that's where you lose on this specific instance um while your point is still that look the important part was that we automated all of the all of the ec2s and everything else because that takes a lot to do manually now the other the last thing i will say is that even if let's say there was a disproportionate let's say it would take five minutes to go click through the AWS interface to set up the SQL service, Mm -hmm. or it would take three hours to define the resource block and all of the required requisites and downstreams and outputs and everything else. Mm -hmm. Let's say that it was really imbalanced like that. You don't just get an advantage standing it up with Terraform. Let's say something happens. You want to take your, you want to redeploy. At some point, you got to destroy the old stuff. Now, what can happen at at team scale is there's a resource in AWS account 
that's not managed by Terraform, which means when you Terraform destroy because you want to rebuild in another availability zone or whatever happened, you want to go rebuild this thing. Mm-hmm. Now you 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 reap all of those EC2s and S3 buckets and everything. Okay, so we had a bit of a technical snafu there. Chris was uh, continuing his story and uh, our recording completely locked up. So I've got it started back up here. Um, so just quick, so quick recap. You thought that um, you thought that this solution was weak because it was uh, my. I'm sorry, my example was weak because the na- the narrowness of the time band of setting up Terraform versus setting up. Uh, right. for setting a, up not manually. a great disparity right. in okay. time required to set up manually versus Terraform. You're not you're not reaping like a 10x. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so it's no. Yeah. Thing. You're not. And re- then again, and then yet again, there's the issue where everybody wants to think about Terraform apply when you're creating resources. Right. But then on the back end, when you want to destroy them, now anything that's unmanaged that you set up manually is a loose end. And at scale, if you have lots of lots of creation and destruction, you know, as as a as an agile uh, organization will mm-hmm. you've got all of these random resources left over over lots of these cycles and nobody really knows who owns them where are they where are they from what are they are they still being used Do right we need them yeah yeah, yeah. so okay. that would be that would be another concern to enter could but could, i still think you know again Pareto principle i don't think you're wrong to suggest look let's spend let's spend the highest roi time first get through the whole thing we can come back and clean up later if we if we feel like it's necessary. Well, here's and okay, so you're you're right. Yes, and that that's of course that is the point. But I, I'm actually gonna I'm gonna stick with my guns here a little bit because Terraform destroy in this particular case, and I'm there is a point to to all of this. But in this particular case, Terraform destroy. I'm talking about the database. I am literally never ever ever going to destroy this database. That is never a thing that's going to happen. In fact, I would be worried about having this resource defined in the Terraform for that precise reason. I would not want to see it destroyed for any reason whatsoever. Now, will we add additional databases? Sure. Is it possible that we can migrate? Yes. In all of those cases, though, it's going to be a very overt, deliberate action. I actually like the friction in there because it's my data. Everything else is completely uh ephemeral i don't i don't care about it you could destroy all of it and and come back to it you're not losing anything of permanence there but the data is as always the exception and so i'm okay with it not having been terraformed and the and the lack of terraform in this case might actually be a benefit now that would just be data and databases would be the exception rather than the norm to that rule. And so, you know, you have to be careful with that, but it only reinforced my earlier thinking about, okay, I want to do the Terraform and the automation for this stuff, for the, for the stuff that I'm actually going to destroy and rebuild on a, on a recurring basis. And I want to not Terraform the stuff that's only going to get done once, ideally. Um, And I want it to be hard to destroy because it's so in, intrinsically valuable. So <clears throat> to get tactical there, what are you are is is all of this Terraform magic? Is this going through automation pipelines or using Terraform, but then ultimately some sysop is actually calling it from their local command line? The uh, it's a pipeline. It's it's being it's being automated. Okay. It's it's part of so, a deployment pipeline. Yeah. Okay. So then I would say. 
I'm I'm going to double down on my position then, and the the guy from Colorado, um, the, the gentleman and from by Colorado. the way, he's not he's not happy. Yes, the, the right gentleman from Colorado. Well, by the way, <laughs> he's he's not a fan. Uh, so I think he he may go further south. He may go into Arizona now. Um, it's just it's not not his bag. So um, no, I'll I'll double down too though. So there's a couple of things there. One is. <clears throat> Uh, you, you even, you even, you even had, I gave you the foot gun and you used it when you said it's only going to be created once comma, ideally, right? Well, That's one of the issues is that you think it's only going to be created once you could be wrong. Right? I could, and usually yes. you're setting up a database. You're probably not, but there's a non-zero chance you're going to be doing this more than once. So I, there's a, there's a, there are, and there are two situations. And the reason I said, ideally, I was thinking of two situations. One, I create a second excuse me, a second database to hold a particular set of data because I want the isolation for some reason or two act of God GCP gets blowed up sure, sure. and, and or I've you, got you know, you want to go into a different availability zone. There's a whole a bunch different of different hosting provider. Provide. Sure. Sure. But again, Terraform apply is not just about initial creation of resources, but also management over time. Mm -hmm. And so, and so where you get into trouble there too, doing it manually is that, Let's suppose Google publishes some new options for how to configure your SQL service. Mm -hmm. Now you have to go in uh, and you have to go into the interface and flip those switches yourself, check those boxes, push those buttons. Now, still, that's probably a little quicker than doing it through Terraform, but you now have no record of that evolution over time. Mm -hmm. And you don't have any record of who did it or when it was done or what the output was, what the result was. You cannot manage the state of that service, that resource, I'll say in Terraform terms, over time right. in an automated way. So the initial creation, while there's a chance you're wrong, you're probably right. You're only doing that once. Mm -hmm. Management over time is a different story though. And since you are, you, you confirmed you are using automation, then the deletion thing, you'd be afraid somebody would destroy it. That's super hard if you don't give the pipeline a step to destroy, right? which I would not do by default. And that's, that's where some of this comes in. Your main pipeline for all of your other assets that are ephemeral, probably you have a pipeline, a step or a job or whatever you structure it. There's a way that you can deprovision that infrastructure. I would have the database in a separate repo and not include any destruction in the pipeline. So you get the advantage of the, the management and the auditability over time. Uh, you can't destroy it like you can your other infrastructure. Um, and then as new options come out, as new things come through, you know you can see that evolution. Now you still, because you're using the source, now you, you might be able to get some of that just by putting it into source control. But again, then you're saying, okay, no, sysop is gonna have this local CLI option uh, you got to still deal with state management on a shared team, and B, it's actually easier for you to destroy it uh, mm -hmm. than yeah. if it's than if it's all done through a pipeline that doesn't have that option natively. Right. Yeah. Okay. So you, I mean, you're, you've yeah, you you sort of shifted into you know where and how Terraform should be deployed, and you're absolutely right. You generally want it to be in the pipeline. You don't want that authority uh, locally. Unless you're in, you know, unless you're developing the Terraform and you actually have to test it. Um, there are a number of offline testing utilities. I generally find that they suck. Um, you're oh, better. really? Yeah, they're, they're hit or miss. They're hit or miss. Okay. Because, yeah, they'll test it, but. Is it like a local service you run that emulates the provider's emulates, API? Emulates, yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. yeah. And so basically, yeah. <clears throat> you, you create the Terraform and it, it 
looks at this fake AWS, this fake mm-hmm. GCP, and it tells you what it's going to do and then it gives these fake responses and stuff like that. It requires the fake the fakery to simulate if exactly it's simu- <laughs> to simulate yeah. the whole of a cloud service provider. Are you flipping kidding me? No, that's that's yeah. just realistically it's not going to work. And so, well, and it's going to require a level of manual intervention that you might as well just do. What do they call it? Uh, it's not apply uh, plan. You may as well just look at the output of Terraform plan because that's going to tell you what it's actually going to do against your real infrastructure in the real provider's environment. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sounds so, like one of those things that it's like good on paper, but it doesn't actually. Well, and here's work. the thing too: you're <laughs> you're building Terraform. You're building a thing that builds the infrastructure. I have to test the building of that infrastructure. Anything other than that, and you're 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 not really testing it. And so, I mean, there's there is no ideal alternative other yeah. than give the dev an isolated space in your hosting account mm-hmm. with the appropriate require uh, permissions to yeah. spin up and then immediately destroy all these things and let Which them is, just we, do it over, you know, we and over, joked, and over again. We joked about the refactored kit being run on Terraform. This is in fact, I, you know, I, I went through those dev cycles and I yep. just in the live environment. Now it's easier when you don't have anything in production yet. Well, right. right but you, you could spin the whole thing up and then deprovision it immediately to cost you three cents. Um, uh, in a live environment, okay, then you just go get an isolated account. Yeah, you just so get a second. You just get a second there. environment. Yeah. GCP is particularly nice about this, where you can have a uh, AWS is okay with it, where you have a um, you have a single account, and then you have these isolated project environments. Um, okay, so you have different sandboxes. So you basically have different sandboxes. GCP does this natively from the ground up. AWS, it's kind of a it's kind of a later thought. And mm. it's there, but I mean, if you're being super paranoid because permissions for your users can bleed into different sandboxes, whereas it's much more explicit inside GCP. Mm. Um, so you're, been, you're, you're the resident. I've, I've never touched GCP. So AWS, sure, but never GCP. GCP has, a, you can tell that GCP is standing on the shoulders of the stuff that AWS has built. Um, mm. So, you know, they, they, they took a lot of the lessons learned and um you know notice that the, neither of us has said anything about azure this entire who? discussion who? <laughs> no, i i have actually i've worked with a couple of clients who who use azure a- azure's entire claim to fame is the fact that it, the word microsoft precedes it that's that is yeah. entirely why anyone is using it it's all i mean it's you made this, the point a couple of weeks ago microsoft never had an original thought and there's mm-hmm. your prime case study oh um, and 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 azure right now and see this is the thing that infuriates me about azure is that it came out it sucked it's still in the process of sucking and yet i know because i know microsoft and i know how this works that they're just going to keep iterating on it and customers are going to stick with them in spite of the the suckiness because it's Microsoft and eventually because it'll be, nobody got fired for hiring IBM. Yeah, right? exactly. That old nobody, exactly. Just keeps coming it's back. Exactly nobody gets fired is. for going with Microsoft. We're going with it's Microsoft. Just, and yet it is an atrocious platform. Abomination. It, yeah. it, it just, it, it's, it's, it needs improvement and, and they're getting there, but so many of these companies buy in because it, the same reason that the enterprises went with the enterprise, uh, 
um, Windows servers and Active Directory. You know the re- you know the reason that that's a big capital E enterprise kind of thing. It's the same thing here. Azure is the cloud for capital E enterprise, just because it's got the Microsoft label in front of it. Functionally speaking, it's it can't hold a candle to to either of the other ones. But often, I, but often the, the you know so many things. Uh, VHS and Betamax. I mean, so many things are not, you know, the, the best technology does not win That's in true. so many cases That's because true. of because of societal, market, legal, whatever factors. Social, uh, uh, marketing, marketing and advertising. Yeah, humans and, suck. Yeah. Humans <laughs> suck. And so, I mean, look at, look at, okay, so you want to say uh, we're in, we're amidst a, a uh, cryptocurrency valuation correction, we'll say, mm. uh, because, it, you know, at the time we record this, uh, BTC, ETH, it's all you know, all the coins. It all spiked. Uh, just all recently, spiked. all-time high again last week. BTC 50. was touching 60k. ETH broke 2k or, or was very close to it at some point. Um, and now everybody's down. And it's 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 you know fire and brimstone as things crash down around us, and that's fine. Um, uh, we've been through this before. People, calm down. Um, uh, as Dave Ramsey says, the only people that get uh, hurt on a roller coaster are those that jump off. Just, <laughs> just, that's exactly that's a great analogy. Hold, just just hold your coin, dollar cost average if you want to buy in more and go about your life in peace. And <laughs> don't have a ticker on your mobile, you know, dashboard. Just don't don't don't, don't do that to yourself. Gosh. Um, no. Anyway, uh it's you look at you look at the actual technology of of the original, you know, Nakamoto's Bitcoin white paper. Um, you look at um uh, Batulik, uh, uh, I always forget his name. Uh, the guy that that invented uh, Ethereum in in 2015. Well, de- deployed in 2015. I think it was invented in in 2013. Um, kind of said, "Hey, Bitcoin's great. I'm going to extend it with all of this awesome extra stuff." And it is empirically the case, especially with ETH2, the beacon chain, and sharding and all of that stuff on the horizon. It's empirically true that Ethereum is a it subsumes every other coin including bitcoin it does them faster it does them better it scales uh better it's it's it is it is empirically better in all technical respects and because it has a turing complete runtime on top of it you know not on top of it to say that it was an afterthought but it's built in with a turing complete virtual machine called evm it literally encompasses anything any other coin could ever do it is technically superior period but the market says that Bitcoin is worth 30 times more. Why? Because it was the Winnebago. It was the Band-Aid. It was the Kleenex, right? The Pampers. It was the, it, was the, it has the brand the recognition. The Xerox. The Velcro. The first. Yes. No, it's hook and loop, Frank. It's not Velcro. Um, you only know that because I told it, you that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Nobody it, it has the that. first. No. No. It's like it's the video is its own parody. Um <laughs> Uh, it's like they were trying to be too on the nose and they undershot it. I don't, it's weird, weird. Um, <laughs> uh, but big, it's the first mover advantage. It's the name recognition. And so, you know, the Microsofts of the world enjoy that kind of recognition and just natural respect and attention from enterprise when they do things. Now, there is part of that that's rooted in some sense of truth where, okay, Microsoft's doing it. It's not, you know, and you've heard this in the boardroom, okay, well, uh, or, or in executive meetings or anywhere else. Well, Microsoft uses it, or, or it's, it's from Microsoft. What the hell does that matter? The technology is often inferior. 
it matters because, okay, if Microsoft is going to do it, you know that they've got the compliance questions answered. They can check all the boxes on your audit forms. It's all of that stuff that bigger and bigger business, bigger enterprise relies on because lawyers exist. Well, it's not only that, Um, it's, I would say it's that the other thing that I would throw into that bucket is support. A -hmm. lot of enterprises like knowing that if something goes wrong, there's a phone number that they can call and they can yell at somebody about it. I I find that that is a, a huge Huge. driver. So it's not even the software itself. It's, and, and I think you, you were heading in this direction. It's not the software itself and its functionality or lack thereof. It's everything and in microsoft's it. case it it's, is the lack thereof <laughs> <laughs> and it's everything around it's everything it. around it's all it. the support yeah. around it 100 know? yeah absolutely so now i i mean total tangent there just to to bring this back around you know with your with your your terraform argument for um with uh, your terraform bull crap yeah yeah <laughs> This guy, he writes one project, one side he project. He's the Dar- master he of the thinks universe. he's just the freaking expert. <laughs> if we're, I mean, it's a really simple concept, and I, I'm I'm giving you a lot of grief, but honestly, you have been doing what Terraform does. For, I mean, like we had, we were doing it with Bash scripts, and then later with config management mm-hmm. tools before Terraform even existed. So, you know, there's there's a lot more, <laughs> there's a lot more authority to. to to your to what you're suggesting, even though I'm lambasting the hell out of you for it, uh, because, you know, never let a good insult opportunity go to waste. No, so, of course, not on this show, not on this show. No. Uh, so. Everything you said about the reasons why you should terraform it. Absolutely right. And I 100 percent agree with you on all of them. The point that I'm trying to make here. is. Not that it is not to it's not to not do them and it's not to cut corners either. It's about order of operations and priority. And so go back to my to my current scenario, new project, standing it up. I need to do the terraform. I'm going to focus on the pieces that are complex and I need and I'm going to be ephemeral and are going to get knocked down and built back up on a routine basis. Work on that. Tata- database not going anywhere. Ideally, I'll continue to add the caveat. It's it's not going anywhere and is generally a, a permanent structure. That's the reality that I'm facing today. And so that's my priority today. As the project mm-hmm. continues to evolve over time, some of those complexities that you talk about come into the mix. I add more people. Uh, the database configuration changes either because my application changes or because the hosting provider, GCP, changes how the SQL stuff mm-hmm. works. Any of those things. And now I'm now I'm actually adding, it's not just a couple clicks. It's a couple clicks and then a couple more customizations. And mm-hmm. I now have more people who need to understand it. And you know, you know, the old developer's now gone and someone new has come in. Well, now having that that track record in the codified as infrastructure as code in the, in the Terraform becomes much more important and it should get the time. My point is this, <clears throat> you need to look at what's current today. And sometimes the business, you know, the, the business reasons, what's best for the business should always win, but, but what's best for the business is going to vary from day to day. And you need to be thinking about how 
to weight this stuff. Whether you're the developer or the project manager or an executive, you have to you have to consider all these things and be willing to slide that knob back and forth. I find that a lot of people get very dogmatic. You got engineers, like we call them neckbeards. You know, you get the, you get these engineers. No, it has to be done exactly the right way every single time. We, you know, completely, with no, fully, completely, totally, fully. You know, we ivory yeah. tower. No, and that's and so and you, I'll, I'll be know. honest. I can share that as as one of the bigger challenges in technical leadership is dealing with that. Yes, right. Just dealing with the fact that you understand the business reality that we're only going to get eighty percent of anything done because we only have 20% of the time we would otherwise spend to do it. And something's got to fall off and getting a lot of pushback at every turn about how you're making the decision of what gets done and what doesn't the right way. And just being okay with the fact that you're going to make your team's brains itch from time to time, because you got to tell them, no, you, you got to do this thing. You can't do that other thing, even though, because that, 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 uh, what did you say a few weeks ago? You know the um, the heads down developer. Yeah, heads you know, down versus heads up development. They're traditionally very detail oriented people. Uh, some lean very academic, and so there is and and opinions on top of it. Uh, there is a right way to do it, and you do the job completely, and then you move on. Um, and that's a that's a tough that's a tough line to straddle. It's sometimes a, it's a ba- it's a balance. And so if you're an engineer, you've got you've got to do the heads up thing. You've got to be looking at what you're doing in relation to the overall business because your work doesn't exist without the business. And so you have to consider those realities and and work inside those constraints. That's on the engineering side. On the business side, recognizing that the engineers are pushing for things to be done the right way for really, really good reasons. If you don't do it the right way, you will shoot yourself in the foot at some point down the road. And just because you haven't seen it yet doesn't mean it's not going to happen. And that is so I I find fault in in both directions because the engineers get super dogmatic about it have to be done 100% right the right way every single time. And then business is going I don't care. Just that get it done. Matter. Oh, none see, of it you, matters. You made all yeah. that you you made all that complaining about that crap a year ago, and look, none of that has come to fruition. Yeah, yeah yet, yes. but yet. And the other thing is, you haven't seen you business manager haven't seen the additional uh, tax that we have paid because we yeah. shortcutted. Earlier, it's so not, that that leads to more shortcuts, which increases yeah. our technical debt even further. And so again, I it's, never, it's so invisible. Yeah, I never. I don't refer to it as a tax. Uh, I have a, a broader analogy. I refer to it as interest. So because yeah, we talk about technical debt, mm-hmm. and I I emphasize the debt. I say, look, we're gonna, and I, I make a little swipey motion with my hand, you know, because we're always on video chat, and I make us, and I say, all right, we're gonna swipe the the technical debt charge card. We're going to swipe the card on this. We're going to do it the fast way now. One of two things is going to happen. Well, well, one thing will happen and another may happen. Uh, one thing that's going to happen is that inevitably, very soon afterwards, we're going to start paying interest on that because we swiped the card. We took the fast option at one point. It's going to cost us over time to manage our way around the fact that we did this, whether right. directly or indirectly. That's going to happen regardless. 
And we will continue to pay that interest forever until we deal with this. And then the thing that can happen is that at some point you go back and pay it off. Well, the account has grown, right? You have to you have to pay off the you have principal to pay off more. plus yeah. accrued interest yeah. because you have now inevitably you you know there's nothing more more permanent than a temporary solution, right? In, inevitably you put a quick fix into production, and then something else goes next to it. And then something else goes on the other side of it. And then something else goes above it and something else goes below it. And before you know it, you have this you big have amalgamation. Yep. You have calcified this temporary thing inside of a bigger system that makes it becomes rigid over time. Um, and then you got to do some pretty gruesome surgery and it's, it can be very costly. Um, now, sometimes you swipe the card, you just pay a little interest and you just pay that interest until, until the cows come home and, and, and it's okay to do that sometimes it like I'm, you have permission to do that strategically. That's not against the rules, as long as you know that you are going to be paying some interest, and that may be the right business decision. Right. Um, uh, I found with my teams, just from a, a culture development, uh, trust, leadership kind of uh, good feels perspective, um, it helps. And it doesn't have to be that big of a project, but it does help, even if things are hectic, to give developers. Uh, a mandate once in a while to go and pay off some debt. Oh yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Right. It feels even good. If, even if there's some big, there's some, uh, there's some mortgage you have pending and you're saying, no, go ahead and pay off that dishwasher. Right. It's, it's just, it's a, it's a culture, it's a mental thing. And it's a, Hey, I, we can't pay off the mortgage. We just can't, we're, we're just going to have to pay the interest on it, but I can let you go off and at least clear this from the books. Right. And it's, that can be a really effective strategy just to be clear, hey, we, there is something within our control and we are going to go and fix this. So please go. That's one less thing that's going to itch your brain when you when you leave work today. So ma- manager engineer, manager of engineers pro tip, if you have a team and you have a bunch of technical debt, some of it you can pay off, maybe some of it can't. And you're looking for ways to reward the teams. A lot of managers think, you know, gift cards, bonuses, vacation time, you know, those kinds of things. You can actually, you 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 can reward your team by giving them time allotted to go do uh, tech debt cleanup because mm-hmm. engineers love tech debt cleanup. You go in there, it's, there's usually, there's a, there's a good mental challenge to it. You yeah. know that you're cleaning up something that has been gunking up the system and now it's not gunking it. You get to, you know, write it nice and neat and clean. And yeah. it's, it's, it's cathartic. It's it, cathartic. It feels, it feels good. And yeah. engineers like it because they see the dividends that it pays down the line, which are mm-hmm. not necessarily totally visible to, to management. So you can, so you can reward your team doing that. I, I, I think that's a, an easy yeah. way to, to reward engineers. So I'm still working on, so I, you know, we've, we talked about it does this. give, and especially on that, especially if they were the ones that had to take the loan in the first place, then right. they get on, the, on the blame, right. On the diffs, mm-hmm. their name is now us attached to code that they feel good about mm-hmm. rather than stuff that they knew at the time was non-optimal for you know, whatever your definition For a menagerie of reasons, usually. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, we've been, I have been using this heads down versus heads up engineering thing. And I think that works. I am trying now my, one of my like long-term um, professional development op- uh, objectives here is to come up with an analogy to help the business side 
really truly understand technical debt because you know you, you and I have lamented this that the tech debt doesn't show up on the balance sheet it's not yeah. something that is readily apparent to anyone other than the engineers who are neck deep in the code sometimes and unfortunately in the worst cases you will see that tech debt rear its head to the business in you know in the form of an outage or you know, a huge estimate to update a thing uh-huh. or, you know, replacing a module because it's now so out of date. Now you've got to replace the whole thing and that has a huge sticker price mm-hmm. attached to it. That's about the only time that the business actually sees it. What I'm trying to figure out is how can how can we make that tech debt readily visible and understandable to a to a business um to a business principal, somebody who, you know, maybe isn't as technically oriented, you know, doesn't come from an engineering background. So um, it's something I've been thinking about. I have some ideas. Well, I but use I, I use the I use the debt. I use the yeah, debt you and the use the, and the debt. principal and all that kind of stuff. And it, it at least gets the idea across. It gets the, the idea, but it doesn't get the emotion. That's the problem. Like it, like they, they understand. Yeah. Okay. I'm swiping tech that I understand what you're saying, Chris. I'm moving. Well, on right. We, we, we don't, we don't want to get on a whole, a whole another rabbit hole here, but American society is very clearly okay with copious <laughs> amounts of crushing debt. Um, so that, that may, I'm, I may actually be shooting myself in the foot with that one. Uh, but one of the things you can do is say, look, um, uh, on a project by just do a year in retrospective and say, look, this is how much a thing, uh, you know, this project was estimated to cost this much absent certain factors of technical debt. It would have been this much. So over the last year for our planned projects, here's the Delta between our estimates that we had the debt. And if we wouldn't have had it and look at how many, you know, look at how many hours this accumulates to over the course of the year. This is why we don't want to keep doing this stuff. And, you know, exposing that in the reports mm-hmm. and, and trying to find graceful ways to do that, you know, is, is you can kind of, um, yeah, it's exposing, kind of back into it, but yeah, the challenge is exposing the effort, how to quickly and easily expose the effort that you are now outputting on account of the technical debt. That's the, yeah, that's the yeah. challenge. And how do you do that accurately? You know, because mm-hmm. you, you can't go and, full, you yeah, can't you go got, fully by an engineer. Yeah, you can't go fully by an engineer's opinion because, again, neckbeard approach here. If it's not 100% right, then it's 100% wrong. And I'm not getting yeah. any real work done ever because I'm spending all of my time on this tech debt. Well, yeah. no, that's not true either. So, okay. <laughs> We've both known a couple engineers like that. Mm-hmm. You know, the system is just total crap and I don't get anything done. And yet here's all this stuff I get done. But I don't Everything's get anything horrible. Done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks again, Chris. It was a good, lively conversation. I'd also like it to was. thank our hypothetical gentleman from Colorado. For uh, showing up to Ar- oh, now he's remember. from Arizona. He moved again. No, he moved. He did move. He moved. He didn't like the vibe in Colorado, so he, he moved a little further south. He, he moved a little further south. Okay. Well, all right. Well, thanks. Thanks to the gentleman from uh, from Arizona. Uh, this has been another awesome episode of Refactored, the show where we try and help you and ourselves, honestly, suck a little bit less each day. No, it's, no, it's all about me. I don't care it's- about anybody else. It's just me. <laughs> this is my group therapy session for the week. <laughs> Um, 
My name is uh, Frank Cole, and with me is my uh, esteemed co-host, Chris Tonkinson. And uh, you can find us at Tonkinson.com. Is it just Tonkinson.com? You're not doing the dub 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 thing, right? No, and actually that, that'll redirect to Chris.Tonkinson. I got the Krista. whole thing. Oh, look at you. You got the whole yeah. thing wired. Because okay. it, it'd be as easier to say Tonkinson.com, and then mm-hmm. it redirects to my, you know. Your so, full yeah. name. That's okay. Yep. All right. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, you can say it's clever. It's all right. It won't hurt you. It yeah. won't hurt. I promise. <laughs> What's the Terraform look like on that site, huh? It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. That's right. Do you know I gotta? I want to. Th- I gotta think about redoing that in Hugo because it's still based on Jekyll. Jekyll. This now I assume ancient Ruby. Uh, it was a good library at the time, but Hugo's just so much better that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Jekyll's still around, still getting support. It's it's still good stuff. It is. It is. It, it is. is still but good mine stuff. isn't. Mine <laughs> is updated like seven years ago, uh, and yeah. so dependencies become an issue and rot. It's uh, it's not a good. <laughs> it's a good place to go. I encourage everybody to visit. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, you can find Chris and his crappy Jekyll site at uh, Tonkinson.com. You'll find me at hotcoals.com for uh, the show and show notes. And uh, you can find us at refactor.work. Let us know what you think at feedback at refactor.work. And we'll see you again for another episode. Take care, well, folks. Thanks very much, Frank. See you, Cheers. buddy.